Hey, it's Callie, and you're listening to the Hippie Haven Podcast. Every Wednesday, I interview experts and everyday people on how they live an ethical and eco-friendly lifestyle and how you can too. Previously, we've covered topics like how to go zero waste, environmental activism, preventing food waste, secondhand shopping, starting an eco-business, and so much more. My goal is to inspire you to take action, both in your day-to-day routine and on a larger scale of combined advocacy, because I believe that together we can make a difference in saving the planet. If you haven't already, be sure to hit that subscribe button so that you automatically get each new episode right when it comes out. Today's guest is Leah Segedy, author of the book Green Enough, Eat Better, Live Cleaner, Be Happier, All Without Driving Your Family Crazy. She's also the founder of the Momovation Community, in addition to creating the ShiftCon social media conference. Leah is also a very passionate food and consumer health activist. She first got into consumer health activism when California attempted to label GMOs through a proposition in 2012 by springing into action and organizing over 650 fellow bloggers from across the United States and Canada to educate the public about the lack of transparency in the food system. She then realized that this blogger group needs an annual conference to connect, so that's when she founded ShiftCon Social Media Conference as an annual meeting that focuses on how health is impacted by food and everyday products. In today's episode, we're also going to talk about how Leah sued one of the largest organic companies in the nation and how that went. Now, Leah was named Mom of the Year by Shape Magazine, the fourth most influential mom blogger by Sision Media, Top 10 Women Changing School Nutrition, and the favorite weight loss blog by Fitness Magazine. Leah has a master's in communications management from the University of Southern California, where she focused on persuasion, public health, and speech, and she lives in Simi Valley, California with her husband and three young children. This episode is sponsored by Luna Pads, which is a female-owned and operated company whose reusable menstrual products have prevented 20 million disposable pads and tampons from entering landfills every single year. Luna Pads offers a sustainable solution for every period, no matter what your flow, from reusable liners and pads to period underwear. There's even a matchmaker quiz on their website to help you pick the right solution for you. You can save 15% off your Luna Pads order by visiting lunapads.com and using the code HIPPIE, that's H-I-P-P-I-E, at checkout. As always, thank you for supporting our podcast partners and helping me keep the mic on. Now for today's episode. So you're the founder of Momovation, Bookie Boo Network, ShiftCon Eco Wellness Influencer Conference, author of the book Green Enough, a food labeling activist, a mother, and a wife. Can you give me some background on your life and how you started all these different projects? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Do you have like uh, a millennial for me to talk to you about? (laughs) The short, the short version. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Uh, I am a woman who loves to do 50,000 things at the same time. Um, I love a challenge. I'm one of those people that I actually am not enjoying myself unless I'm challenged by things. So of course I choose things that are the most difficult to surround myself with, you know, like you know, changing the grocery store, the food movement, or, you know, all of these really big systems. Um, So essentially how I started out was, you know, I worked in politics and PR, you know, right out of college. And, you know, that's where my love of organizing people started, where I really got that I, wow, I really love organizing people around issues. Um, And that was something that was really exciting to me, but politics wasn't really my thing. You know, it was, um, I think I'm starry eyed a little bit too much, you know, and so um, when I got married and got pregnant, um, I have three boys, by the way, and my husband, Um, but I got, my father got really sick when I had my first son. And this is kind of like the beginning of my story. Um, My father was really sick. He got mesothelioma and that is um, 
mesothelioma is exposure to asbestos. Asbestos is a nanoparticle, you know, in our environment. And he was exposed to it before I was born. And when I was pregnant with my first child, he passed away. And so, you know, I didn't really spend time being a mother and thinking about being a mother for the first time because all I could think about was someone was dying and I helped my mother care for him in his last year and stuff. So, you know, when I finally, when my father finally died, I had this one to come to Jesus moment where, you know, I, I started processing that I'm a mother now. I'm not a daughter anymore. And what, what are the things that were really important to me was health. And I lost my father based on an, you know, an environmental nanoparticle that he was exposed to at work. And then the years following that were really, really painful for our family because, you know, I lost my uncle, I lost my dad, I lost another uncle, two other uncles, and I lost an aunt. Um, and they, in, in a, our family was just rocked the core and, and just kind of fell apart after that. And so it really left an impression on me, you know, cancer and sickness and all of these things. And so it really cemented that need for me to work on health issues and wellness issues and, you know, helping families across the United States, even if they don't know that I'm helping them, you know, and how am I going to do that? You know, and when I first started off in social media, it was all about my weight loss story because I had lost over a hundred pounds and I'd gotten written up in, you know, ladies home, ladies, um, Ladies Home Magazine and Shape and Fitness and everyone was really excited about my weight loss and I started up an online community and you know for me back then it was all about weight loss weight loss weight loss and as I grew up kind of you know in in the world of wellness you realize that okay weight doesn't necessarily translate into health the way we used to think it did um, and then I started focusing on well well how does that happen and you know I I learned about pesticides and and their impact on your weight and you know your body and all these other different chemicals. So I kind of like have grown up over the years to understand that issues that I originally thought were simple are a lot more complicated than, than they are. And those complicated issues don't scare me at all. They actually excite me, you know? And so I want to run in and, and, you know, fix things. And, you know, I can only fix one thing at a time. And so, you know, I have a community, it's momovation.com. We focus on, you know, detoxing the home from hormone disrupting chemicals and anything that's based on wellness and families um, is primarily what we do. We do a lot of investigations where we take, you know, a category of food or what have you, and we look at everything out there and put it in bad, better, best categories so people can really easily figure out based on the ingredients what's safe and not safe for their family. Um, and I also started up ShiftCon, which you were talking about before, and that's kind of a, my idea, my way of organizing the industry. So it's like organizing all the green wellness bloggers together, bringing in the scientists, bringing in the good brands, you know, putting every, pairing everybody up together, kind of singing Kumbaya together and, and working really hard to change the world. Um, and then of course I have my blogger network where I work with, um, I've worked with over 250 natural and organic brands. Um, we pair them up with, uh, you know, um, uh, bloggers that are, you know, that care about those issues and we do that. And then I also have my book that came out um, last year. And then, you know, just, you know, I've been doing all kinds of stuff. I'm just, I really, really at the end of the day, I really is someone, I'm someone who just really wants to move the needle in a lot of different places. And I do it strategically through, you know, writing books, you know, organizing people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And however I can do that, but I'm not afraid of a good challenge. That's for sure. You sound like exactly what I want to be when I finally grow up. <laughs> 
I think the answer is, but here, here's the thing. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. I don't know what I am right now. You know what I mean? I just do things. And you first started mobilizing your vast network of bloggers in 2012 when California attempted to label GMOs. Was there a specific moment that you personally decided that you had to do something about GMO labeling in California? And then how exactly did you get your blogger friends involved too? Oh, that was that was a moment in time that was just beautiful. And, it, you know, it was really kind of like, you know, I used to work in politics. And so when I walked away from that industry, I walked away. I didn't think I would ever go back, you know. And so when I was working online and I was in social media and doing consulting and yada, 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 I never perceived myself as getting political again. Um, and so what had happened essentially is, you know, when, when Prop 37 made the ballot, I was breastfeeding my third son. My third son had just been born. And you, of course, know, you know, when you just have a baby, you, you could catch up on a lot of reading, you know, because you're constantly breastfeeding, right? And you're sitting on your butt. And it's like I, my son at that time, he he was an um, allergic baby, but we didn't know he was allergic. So he was a lot more ravenous and a lot more hungry than the average baby. So I was constantly just sitting on my butt. And that was a great time for me to just like read the news and watch TV and, you know, do more work or whatever. And on the newspaper in LA Times, I'd seen that Prop 37 had hit the hit the um, California, and we were gonna we were gonna vote on it. And I was like, "What the hell is a GMO?" And I was just like, I sat there for a second, and I'm like, I need to know what this is because everybody is going to ask me because I'm the person, I'm like the green, healthy mom, and everyone's gonna want to know. And um, so I just had to dive into it, you know, and just learn as much as I possibly can could. And when I, I think, I believe I, I read up on it for about two weeks and I just, you know, went nuts and, and that's just, you know, who I am. I got to wrestle that monster to the ground so that I can understand and then explain it to people. And what, what happened when is when I erect, erect, erected back out, I thought to myself, how dare they, how dare they change the food this dramatically and not tell me about it to give me an idea so that I could say I want in or I want to opt out. And that just really made me really frustrated as a woman because here I am, I've got three children. I got my husband, you know, I'm, I'm raising this family and I need information to raise this family, you know, and they have decided to omit all of this from me and have not respected me as a woman and as a mother to be able to raise my children. They basically patted me on the head and say, Oh, don't you worry your poor little head about these things. You just let us take care of everything. And I'm like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> that was how I felt. And, um, so what I did is I just decided, you know, at that moment, I was just like, that's it. I'm going to help. And they, they, they have not seen me come. They, they're not going to see me coming. And once I come, the, it's, it's over. Because, you know, at that point, I wasn't really a, really a green blogger. I was a wellness blogger. But I had my network was full of mom bloggers. And we're not talking green mom bloggers. We're just talking everyday women who know nothing about any of these issues. And so those women are, are people that I had created relationships with and knew really well, and they respected me. So I reached out to the campaign and I said, hi, you don't know who I am, but here's a couple of things that you can look up about me. Um, you know, at that point I had a network with over 8,500 bloggers. You know, I was already known for, uh, as a wellness mom 
And I was already really popular under that niche. It was just that the, the pesticides, you know, green issues, GMOs, that was not part of my vernacular at that time. So, you know, I said, I want to volunteer for you. I want to help you recruit influencers and, and I want to give you my money. So I essentially worked for them for free and my husband wanted to kill me, but it was just like one of those things where I'm like, here I am, I'm uniquely positioned to be able to change this issue and, and help move the needle. And what, what, would, what is my role here is just to get this message out to regular everyday mom bloggers and ask them if they feel <laughs> the same way I feel about not being respected. You know, do you feel respected when you know that they've hidden this from you? And the absolute answer was yes. I don't, this is not okay. They need to tell us. They need to be more transparent. Yes, yes, yes. So it was never an argument of like, is this good or bad? It was an argument of, do you have a right to know? And everybody was overwhelmingly saying yes. So that's where it started. So I ended up organizing 650 influencers across the United States and Canada um, talking about labeling. We created, I, I believe it was over 750 million impressions in two short months. Um, Twitter, uh, Pinterest, Instagram, you know, Facebook, um, blogs. We used everything at our disposal and, you know, organized all of these women. And, and what it did was it changed how people perceived these issues. People started all of a sudden look, looked into ingredients and food. You know, where's my food coming from? You know, why, why should I be trusting this company that just says, trust me? You know what I'm saying? Why, why should I give them my trust? Who deserves my trust? You know what I mean? Those kind of issues are really not something that had been wrestled to the ground before. And we started doing that with labeling. And even though we lost in California, I mean, I was telling people back then because I'd worked in politics for for a while and been there, done that, I said, you know, if you lose with one percentage point, that is not a loss. That is a win. And, and what I mean by that is ultimately the goal is to change how people relate to the world. It's to change the culture. It's to change what they buy. It's to change how they treat their bodies. And that was a win because when you lose by 1%, people do not give up. They get more enraged. They get more, uh, you know, they're, they're just, they care more because it was so close. And so we went from California to Washington to Colorado and Vermont, like, and we organized and I assisted organizing a lot of these influencers talking about these issues. And that group of influencers are what turned into ShiftCon, the, the, the conference that I had, because we needed a place, an annual place to kind of meet and keep the conversations going and, and say, what, is, what do we need to work on this year? What do we work on that year? Bringing in the scientists to talk about it so that we're all prepared. You know, that is, is, is how I, I wrestled that, that, that monster. But if you think about what happened in Prop 37 in California, they spent, as in they, as the opposition, as in the biotech companies and the grocers, manufacturers, company, you know, association, et cetera, they spent $46 million to shut us down in California, which is the most that had ever been spent on a proposition ever. And um, they couldn't do it. They shut us down by one percentage point, but they lost the war. So they won a battle, but they lost the war. And the reason they lost the war is because they spent millions of dollars telling people that there was something in their food that they're not going to tell you about. It's like the dumbest thing I'd ever said. It's like, it's like telling a two-year-old, don't touch the red button. You know what I mean? It's like, what were they thinking? They thought that a, a conversation about transparency and we're not going to give it to you was a positive conversation. And so they just didn't understand how the world was changing. But I understood exactly how the world was changing. And um, so it was absolutely a win. So we never really got labeling anywhere. Um, even today, we didn't really get it. But what we did get was everybody changed. And that was ultimately what the goal was. So we won.
Your next big accomplishment related to food labeling activism was a lawsuit in which you sued a major baby formula company for dishonestly branding themselves as organic. So first of all, is there such a thing as organic baby formula? Not in the United States. No, there is no such thing as organic baby formula. And it's a complicated subject. Um, And essentially what happened is, you know, all of my children, I have supplemented them and I used Earth's Best Organic Baby Formula with pretty much all of them. And I thought, or at least thought back then, that it's organic, so it's safe and it's okay and yada, yada, yada. And if I'm going to choose anything, if I choose organic, I'm, I'm good to go. Well, what I didn't know was that the organic industry, uh, the formula industry, puts anywhere from, oh, I don't know, six to 17 ingredients in their organic formula that's not allowable in the organic standards. So that means that, you know, if you buy an organic protein powder, you're getting an organic product because nothing will be in that protein powder that's not allowable in the standard. If you buy organic cereal, it's an, it's a, it's an organic product. Nothing is in there that's not allowable in the standards. But if you buy baby formula, you are buying something that has anywhere from two to 17 ingredients that are not allowable in the organic standard. So I thought to myself, so there's no such thing as organic formula in the US. So why do they have it? And I felt again right there that this is a lie. This is an absolute lie. Um, they should not be able to do this. And I got really upset. And of course, I got upset at my own industries because I'm working behind the scenes helping these organic companies and pairing them up with, you know, influencers. So ultimately, I am one of their fangirls. But in this issue, I was like, you are dead wrong. And, you know, what do you do about something like that? And I felt like, you know, I could write about this on my blog, but I didn't really feel like writing about it was really going to do it justice. This needed to change, right? So I found an attorney who does a lot of these type of, of lawsuits and she's a really good attorney. And, you know, I obviously talked to her about my issues and we, you know, we, we formulated, you know, the lawsuits. It went forward from there. We sued Earth's Best Baby Formula, which is Hain Celestial. And at the time, Haines, I don't know if this is still true today, but at the time, Hain Celestial was the largest organic corporation in the United States. So I was suing the big guns. Um, and I was suing them based on the standards. You know, it's like, you're not you're not allowed to put the organic symbol on a food that has all of these things in it. How is this possible? And when I had fed my children, they were actually operating illegally outside of the standard. And we did an investigation looking through all of the organic organic formula companies and look did, um, did an investigation, put it up on momovation.com to show people out of all the organic formula companies which ones are the worst, which ones are kind of better, and which ones are probably the best. Now, of all the organic um, formula companies that I saw, the ones in you know, Europe and the United States, none of them are holding to the standards. But um, there are some that are better, that have maybe two ingredients as opposed to 16. So, of course, the absolute worst ones are Earth's Best Baby Formula and like Similac Organic and like Gerber and those guys, and those guys are the worst. But the better ones, and and when I say better, they've got between eight to 13 ingredients that are not allowable in organic food. And that's like Plum Organic is better and Happy Baby Stage. Um, There's one called Nanny Care, that's a goat formula. And then the best ones, the best ones are from Europe. Um, There's one called Holly, H-O-L-L-E. There's one called Topner, Topner, there's another one, an American one called Babies Only Organic. 
Um, and, and we have this all up on um, momovation.com. But then I also wanted to look into, and I asked myself, if I would have known today and known everything that I know now back then, what would I would have done? And I would have honestly probably just made the formula myself. And so we linked up a, you know, organic formula recipe, which is absolutely possible. You can absolutely do this. And then information on milk banking, human milk banking, you know, and how to do this safely. And the great thing is, is there's so many more options for women than there was back then when I was having children and they were really little. It's just amazing how many options there are. So that's, that's the good news. The bad news is there is no such thing as organic formula. So I would say it's definitely better, better than um, conventional because conventional is the worst thing in the world, but, um, but we still don't have something that's a true organic product. And so I wanted to make sure that consumers, that women knew this, you know, so, you know, if you want to buy the organic formula, buy it, but look at the, the bad, better and best ones. So how are these organic baby formulas even getting the organic certification then? Ha ha ha. And that is the good question. And that's really the question that nobody can answer. And so there was like a period of about five years, I, I believe, that they were operating essentially illegally and nobody was doing anything about it. And the person who should have been doing something about it was the certifiers. The certifiers are the ones that are supposed to hold these companies, you know, onto the carpet and say, look, you can't do this and prevent them from putting the seal on. But I also feel sometimes that, you know, you have, you're, you're paying these people money to audit your books. And, and there's kind of like a, you know, that, that, that's a system that we have a lot of trust in. But in the, the case of organic formula, there's been a lot of abuse of that trust. And so that was what the whole, you know, the whole lawsuit was about, the abuse of that trust. And it's still happening. It's still happening to this day. But the difference is, is now they've legally closed that loophole so that they're not technically breaking the law anymore. They, they're allowing it to happen in the certification and the standards. And, you know, my my lawsuit was really, really unique because it was, I was suing over a time when they were operating illegally. And so that's why I was able to sue them and, and, you know, really, you know, be a pain, they're pain in the butt essentially for, for many years. Um, but, um, you know, again, it was thrown out as a technicality, but, you know, I'm really happy um, that we changed the law because that's really important. So there's, you know, right after my lawsuit went forward, you started to see organic egg companies getting sued and that never would have happened had my lawsuit not gone forward. And what are these ingredients that are questionable? You go to momovation.com, there is a there's a like it's it, it's it's a really great um it's a really great investigation it's really long i have to warn people it's really wrong but here are some of these ingredients sodium selenate um then you've got the amp and the gmps you've got taurine that's not allowed then you've got lots of um synthetic vitamins and and minerals like uh there's another one um assorable palmitate calcium pantothenate chlorine chloride, uh, chlorine birate, um, and then, you know, like synthetic B, synthetic D, L-carnonite, um, lutein, beta-carotene, biotin. These are essentially things that are, you know, the reason they're not in the standards is either number one, they're synthetic, or number two, they're harshly processed, or number three, they're a carcinogen, or, you know, what have you. Um, so it's problematic they're problematic and there's a, there's a lot of them. So if you go to the site, they're all listed right there. And then what we did was we busted out all the organic formulas and then highlighted where, so that you can see where those ingredients are. It's not like they're hiding them. It's right there on the ingredient label. They've never been hiding them. That's right there. 
Um, and then we kind of highlighted that so that you can see, you know, which the which ones were the dirtiest, you know. And so then you that's why how we were able to create the bad, better, best list, saying that these are the guys that have the most and the, the really the bad formulas have, you know, 15, 16, 17 ingredients. The better ones have between eight and 15 and the best ones have like five or less. And there's multiple baby formula companies that are certified or claiming to be organic. Why did you choose to focus on Hain Celestial specifically? Because that was the one I fed my son. Earth's Best Baby Formula is what we purchased. And we purchased a lot of it and we actually purchased it on Amazon. So we had we had a record of purchasing it. So that's why I focused on them. I mean, it, it had to do with who injured me personally. And how did the lawsuit affect your business and your life over those years? Ultimately, I, ultimately, I don't know how it affected my business, but I can say that I probably did lose a lot of clients over it because the second it was public, I started getting harassed by people, <coughs> which, is actually, which is absolutely illegal. You're not allowed to um, intimidate people like me, you know, when I'm filing a lawsuit or, you know, someone who's going to be testifying against a company, you're absolutely not allowed to intimidate them, but it happened. And so there were people that were calling me up behind the scenes and emailing me and harassing me, telling me that I need to drop this lawsuit, that I was like the worst person in the world. And that, you know, you're going to, people are not going to trust the organic industry based on what you're doing. And I was saying, wait a minute, we're supposed to be transparent. We're supposed to be the better than everybody else. <laughs> you know what I mean? this is important, you know, we got to clean up the industry. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like a mother, you know, in a sense, you know, when your child does something wrong, you smack them on the butt, you know, or something like that. And when they're good, you, you encourage them. So, you know, as a mother, I was, I, I absolutely love, you know, what we're trying to do. Ultimately, what we're trying to do, clean up the food industry, make people healthier, use like synthetic, toxic, synthetic pesticides, you know, all of those things I believe in. But here was an issue where we were falling flat on our face and being hypocritical, you know, and, and that's not something I was is going to allow. Besides baby formula, what do you recommend for mothers who need to supplement or replace their breast milk? Yeah, there's a really good baby formula and it's Weston Price. And it's the, there's an infant, infant formula recipe by Weston Price. And it's probably like 20 ingredients and you have to, it's expensive to put together you mix it all together and you can't have it, you know, out for longer than three hours. So it has to be consumed, you know, so there, there is a formula recipe that you can do and, um, it's way better than anything else. And there's a couple of those recipes. And, and if somebody wants to make their own formula, you absolutely can do it, but you need a pediatrician that's willing to support your efforts. You know, um, if you're in Los Angeles, there's a, a really great pediatrician named Tanya Altman and she's one of, um, one of my advisors. She's actually my kid's pediatrician. She has a, um, uh, you know, she's in, in Calabasas area um, and she's fantastic. But you have to find doctors, pediatricians that know, that understand these issues and are willing to work with you. Not all of them are willing to do that. So, and I'd also recommend maybe someone a little bit younger, maybe like, you know, so here's where having a millennial pedi uh, pediatrician would be great because they would probably be more uh, able to, you know, um, support a mother who wanted to do this. And then the other option that you have is, is milk baking. And that has become a lot more popular, um, human milk sharing than, than before. I have friends that have done this, but this, you know, is something that, um, you know, my mother is a, a registered nurse. And so I do want to warn people that if they go that route, you, you have to remember that you are, this is like, you know, it's kind of like blood or, you know, spit or something like that. This is a, this is a bodily fluid and it can, you know, transfer diseases and bacteria and all kinds of crazy things that you do not want. So if you go that route, 
You need to absolutely understand who the donor is. You need to get their health history. You know, there's all kinds of things that you need to do. These are recommendations that we that we um, put up there based on the Association of Women's Health um, Obstetrician and Neonatal Nurses. So they have a whole, you know, uh, list of recommendations on that. But you can go for the human milk banking and find somebody who can give you their breast milk or you can make your own formula. Those are the other two options. Now, what advice do you have for someone else who's interested in advocating for change through the judicial system? Wow. Change thing, <laughs> changing things through the judicial system. I will say that, you know, the one thing to remember about these lawsuits is this is not about the money. This is absolutely not about the money. And if you file a lawsuit, you will get what I'm talking about because the amount of stress and work based on the payout is minuscule. So you have to absolutely believe what you're doing. Don't do this if you think you're going to get a payout. Promise you it's not it's it, that's not what's in your future. And most of these things lose. Absolutely get thrown out as a technicality. Mine is is, you know, most things are not winning lawsuits. So you're doing this based on how you feel and that has to be the first priority. So if you feel like you want to change something and and there's something going on like let's just say that, you know, your you found that your lipstick has more lead in it than you know you feel comfortable and let's just say that you want to sue a natural organic company over the use of lead or you know minerals and lead and heavy metals in the and and something like that um those are issues that i think would be great to be litigated you know to kind of clean things up um but um it's also you know it's it's several years it's hard to find a good attorney you know um Find out, you know, who the attorneys are that have won, and you can do that through Google searches and just kind of figure out who these people are, what attorneys that they're using, um, and then go to those firms and talk to them about the things that you want to do, things that you want changed. And there's these, you know, uh, consumer class kind of lawsuits, and then there's companies suing companies. And I've been told that it's actually easier to get these changes when a company sues a company, and they do it based on unfair marketing practices. So like, let's just say, and this is something that drives me crazy. We just investigated um, the cookware industry, you know, and one of the things that we found that was, or I found that was so upsetting is we've got a lot of ceramic cookware out there and the ceramic cookware people are like, we've got the best, healthiest cookware. It's the best thing since sliced bread. Come buy our green da, 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 cookware. And you've got all these companies like Green Pan and yada, yada, yada sprouting up. And what we found very easily, it was not hard to find this, was that the vast majority of these ceramic companies, and when I say that, I mean 99.9% of them, have ceramic. It's made of ceramic, but they cover the ceramic with a nanoparticle. And that nanoparticle is known to migrate out of the pan in high heat and into your food. So essentially putting nanoparticles in the food that you're feeding your family. Now, and 99% of these companies call themselves ceramic companies. Well, I don't call them ceramic companies. I call them like quasi-ceramic companies. This would be a great... Um, example of where a real ceramic company that's 100% ceramic could sue a company that's a quasi-ceramic company based on competitive um, advantage, where I'm the real company and you're not the real company, yet you're getting the benefit of all the purchases and sales, and that's not fair because I'm the only real person here. Those lawsuits are better because they're quicker and easier and you know the, the lawyers make more money and everyone's excited about that. So those are easier to do. The consumer lawsuits are a lot more difficult. And, and the reason, and one of the things that's weird about them is that everybody, when, when we talk about like when people are being harmed, um, the harm has to be the same now. So like, let's just say, you know, everybody gets together and sues 
a water company or a, a you know water district for polluting the water. Well, everybody would have to have the same thing happen to them. Like it would, it could only be people that have cancer, or it could only have people that have a thyroid condition. You can only sue on one ailment, or it has to be all the same ailment. So the way the laws have changed recently have kind of made suing companies like this more difficult, even if they have harmed you, um, because it all has to be the same. And so it's it's a little bit more difficult. And the companies are happy about that, but you know, someone like me is not because I like to see them all playing fair. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's 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 a little complicated. So find a good uh, find a good law firm. Um, they're out there. Um, find out who's suing based on these things, and that is out there. Go to those people. Talk to those people. And you have to be pure of heart. This has to be something that you you don't care about the money for because it's got to be worth it to you to spend three, four years on something without any payout. And even if you win, maybe you'll get $2,000 or something. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, I think I received out of all of the work, um, testifying, deposition, stress, getting harassed, et cetera, et cetera. I think it was like two, $3,000 that I received. That was about it. I mean, it's not worth all of the, the pain and aggravation and hassle. So again, it really has to be about, it cannot be about the money for you. And on the topic of this ceramic cookware, is there any brand of cookware that you do recommend? And where can people go to learn more to find resources about um, the cookware that we're using in our home and how it might be potentially dangerous? Yeah. So Momovation recently did a huge investigation on cookware and we found all the best brands and all the bad brands. And some of it was a little surprising. And then we also did the same thing with small kitchen appliances. So your, you know, like your blender and your dehydrator and all of these things that you probably never would have thought about. All of these things are touching your food. Um, it's this idea where you know, uh, most people don't know this, but there are additives in your food that are legally there that are not labeled, that'll never be, well, I won't say never be labeled, but they're not labeled and you don't know they're there because they're called indirect additives. And indirect additives are additives that get into your food based on processing or plastic, you know, uh, something being up against a plastic or anything from the processing world. So it could be like, you know, you could get a byproduct of bleach in your cereal because the farmer, you know, didn't, you know, wipe things down and it, it, it went from bleach to perchlorate. Now you have perchlorate in your cereal and that's legally allowed to be there because it's a byproduct of, you know, what would happen during the processing. So uh, your cookware is the same thing. There are additives like these nanoparticles that, you know, nanoparticle glaze that are used that are considered indirect additives. So that means they don't, by law, they don't have to tell you that they're there. There's no one really looking out for you. So that's why this investigation was so difficult because we really had to go into what do we know about the industry? Then do they have a, a glaze? And so what we found was that glass obviously, you know, is the best. So Visions Cookware is one that's really good if you can find it, but they don't produce as much. Um, anymore. You can get uh, cast iron. Cast iron is really good. However, a lot of these cast iron companies will cover the cast iron with a glaze and the glaze is what you want to avoid. So that's why it was such a difficult um, uh, investigation because there were good brands and there were bad brands and they were the same company. And so you'll find something like Cafalon. Cafalon will produce something that's great, and then they'll produce 50 other things that are bad. And so that was why, you know, that investigation was so difficult. But I will say that if you want to know, go to momovation.com, and there is a cookware and a small kitchen appliance investigation. And you could just 
you know, just Google cookware. It's, you know, on the list of our blog. If you click on blog, you'll find it. It's one of the last eight ones that we did. And um, the other thing that was interesting was the small kitchen appliances, because we never think about this, but Vitamix, you know, um, have you ever taken your Vitamix? I know a lot of people have this. They're going to, they're going to hate me. Vitamix people don't like me right now because I'm, I'm kind of down on the Vitamix, but you spent all this money on this, you know, plastic blender, right? Have you ever stuck it in the dishwasher? Because if you have, you've broken down the plastic and it's now the indirect additives are now leaching out of the plastic. So every time you're using it, you're potentially contaminating your food. So if you have you ever used your blender, your Vitamix, um, to make soup? Have you ever done that? Have you ever poured the, the contents into the blender, blended it up, and then put it back into you know the pan? And and if you've ever done that, you've absolutely contaminated the Vitamix. So um, one thing to remember about indirect additives is when they're inside of plastic, one of three things um, can happen to for that uh, chemical to leach out. First thing is heat. So this is why they tell you never microwave in plastic because if you microwave in plastic, the indirect additives leach out of the plastic. They're now in your food. Second thing is fat, things with a high fat content. So, you know, oils and um, full milk fat. And then the third thing is acid. And we eat acid all the time and don't realize it because it's citric acid. So it's tomatoes and, and you know, grapefruit or, you know, oranges or lemons or what have you. Those three things cause leaching. And for something like bisphenols, for instance, those things have the ability to leach at room temperature. So that's why we really just don't want anything with bisphenols in it because, you know, it could potentially be leaching all the time. Um, and so, you know, that was another difficult investigation because uh, Vitamix uses a plastic called Triton. And Triton, um, they're, that's a really aggressive plastic company. And I remember years ago, years and years ago, before I started doing, doing a focus on plastic and what was in plastic, they very aggressively came at me and were like, we want to work with you. We want to work with you. And I was just like, ooh, very aggressive. And I just, I didn't feel right about it. So I never partnered with them. And I'm glad I didn't because today the Vitamix and a lot of these other like, you know, um, Ninja, et cetera, et cetera, they're all using Triton plastic. Triton plastic is um, a lot of these uh, independent, uh, you know, studies that have been done on Triton plastic have been saying that it's leaching hormonally active uh, additives out of the plastic. So they don't know how bad it is. Like, you know, BPA we know is really bad, but that plastic is, that additive has been around for a really long time. So we know a lot more about it. Triton we don't know as much about. So, you know, in the small kitchen investigation, we were able to find the least harmful plastics, and we can recommend those. That's that's a plastic called PLA. Um, and then we did bad, better, best on, you know, this is okay, this is not okay. This I would spend the money, this I would not spend the money on. But the, the sorry thing is the Vitamix. That's the one that everyone is really sad about because we are, we're not recommending Vitamix. We recommend going to Target and picking up an OSTER, uh, O-S-T-E-R, I think that's believe it's a glass um, it's a glass blender. That $40 blender is better for you than the $500 you spent on your Vitamix. So tell me about your book. It's called Green Enough. And Green Enough was uh, essentially, um, it was published by Penguin. Um, Penguin acquired Rodell. So originally it was Rodell and now it's Penguin. And um, they essentially, they came to me and they said, can you write a book about detoxing the home and cuss a little bit while you're doing it? <laughs> was literally kind of like that. And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. And um, it took it took about two years to write. 
And essentially, you know, what I did was I asked myself, you know, back in the day before I was this green, you know, crunchy hipster, before before that, I really did not like green people. They drove me nuts. They're constantly telling me what to do. It was like, you know, if, if, if there was someone who was green and crunchy, she's on the opposite side of the room while I'm on the other side of the room drinking my Pepsi, eating my McDonald's, just leave me the hell alone, right? And that's how I was. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't want to piss people off and be like a nanny and tell them what to do. I want to write a book that I would have enjoyed back then. And what kind of a book would I have enjoyed? Honestly, just, you know, someone who's eccentric, explaining things in a way that's uh, that, that's using flowery language. I do cuss like, I swear like a sailor in this book. And, um, you know, uh, Penguin was really uh, happy to let me do that. And um, it, it really brings, even though it's it sounds funny, one of the things that is true is like most green books don't do really well. And, and the reason they don't do well is because the language that is used is really intimidating language, right? And just the topics are very intimidating. And most people feel kind of intimidated by the subject because it's like, I didn't take a chemistry class or, you know, I'm not a scientist or I'm not a doctor and, you know, I don't know anything about this. And that's a barrier that we need to get past. So we get past this barrier by me just explaining things in like I would if I was sitting in your kitchen, just hanging out with you, drinking a cup of tea or coffee. And yes, I'm sweat, you know, cussing like a sailor, but so does your girlfriend. You know, saying like your favorite one is the one that swears like a sailor and doesn't care, and she's, you know, she's always intense, and that's who I am in the book. But it's a very serious book because we have two scientific advisors throughout the book, chiming in on everything that I do to make sure that you know this is very serious science. So I'm explaining it and they're kind of feeding or kind of filling in the, 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 the issues. And that's uh, Dr. Pete Myers. Dr. Pete Myers is the scientist that coined the phrase endocrine disrupting chemical 30 years ago. And he's one of the, I would say, grandfathers of this industry of, you know, looking at a category of, of chemicals that cause hormonal harm. He's one of the, 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 we call him the godfather, that's why. And so we have Pete chiming in, and he's my main scientific advisor. So, you know, I have spent, oh, I would say hundreds of hours with him, you know, uh, learning as much as I can and, and researching. And then he checks a lot of my things. And, um, and then Dr. Tanya Altman, who is a pediatrician, but she's the spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics. So if you watch the television and it's the doctor's show, or you're looking at Dr. Oz, or you're watching ABC or CNN or whatever, and you see a pediatrician up there, likely it's going to be her. She's on TV a lot. And so those two are backing up what I'm saying so that you know that it's, you know, it's not just this organic fangirl that's, you know, waving the white flag over here. This is very serious. Um, and it's something that gets ignored. And I feel like it gets ignored because of the language barrier that we have. And so I created a book that doesn't have that language barrier and is funny to read. And all of a sudden you've just learned all of this stuff about, you know, chemicals and you're, you were laughing while you were doing it, you know, laughing and crying at the same time, but you're laughing because, you know, we're, we're taking a different tone to it. So that's green enough. And, um, it also has a ton of investigations. So we, Oh, we went through like every category of food, personal care, um, cleaning products, et cetera, et cetera. It's all in the book and it's divided in bad, better, best. So you literally can go, you know, what kind of hairspray should I use? And, you know, buy the book and look in the personal care section and you know what hairspray to use, you know? So that's, I just wanted to make it really easy for people. So that's green enough. It came out uh, last year in May, um, or no, I'm sorry, March, and it's done really well. And the only complaint people have about the book is that I cuss too much. <laughs> 
which I don't find a bad thing. So um, if for people who like eccentricity and, and, and that kind of language, they, it's going to be perfect for you. And where can we go to learn more about you and all the work that you do? If you go to momovation.com, M-A-M-A-V-A-T-I-O-N, momovation.com, there I am. There's all my work. Um, it links to pretty much everything that I do. And that's where we have all of our investigations. So I highly, highly recommend that you guys go there to see everything. And if you just go to the start here, there's, there's a part where it says start here and you click on that, there will be a list of all the investigations we've done. And so you'll very easily be, be able to find everything that I'm talking about in that, on that page, a link to it. If you find value in the Hippie Haven podcast, please share it with someone you know who'd be interested. Post about it on social media. If you're on Instagram, don't forget to tag me too. I'm at a hippie in a van. You can leave a review in iTunes or whichever podcast app you're using. And please consider becoming a patron of the podcast for just $5 a month to help me cover the cost of file hosting, editing, transcription for people who need or prefer visual content, and my own time of researching, drafting, recording, proofing, and promoting, which takes about six hours per episode. Visit patreon.com forward slash a hippie in a van to support the podcast with just $5 a month. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart for spending this time with me. I hope you have a great rest of your day.